with the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever in the world you are today. Welcome to episode nine of Y Web 3, where today we're going to do our best to make sense of the latest and frontier technologies. On the agenda today, we have the deep exploration of augmented and virtual reality in healthcare, a look at the seismic shifts in decentralized finance, and a snapshot of the regulatory landscape affecting crypto marketplaces. We'll also delve into the world of large language models, revealing the computational challenges that are setting the stage for the next wave of innovation. Today is September 6th. Bitcoin is at 25,600, the U.S. Fed is at 5.33%, and NASDAQ is sitting at 15,371. Janine, thank you so much for your time today. We'd love to kind of hear a little bit about your background uh, and what you're doing here today. Kia ora, Jay. Thanks for having me on again. Um, yeah, Janine Granger. I am the CEO and co-founder of Easy Crypto. We are a fiat on and off ramp that started in New Zealand about seven years ago. So we've been through quite a full of, few of these up and down markets. Uh, we've expanded into a few different countries and now we're working on some exciting new product with really a focus on how do we bring everyday people into Web3 and how do we make it easy and safe for people to get involved. Awesome. Love it. Michael, good to see you again, sir. Yes, Jay, thanks for having me back. Um, Michael Toner, Chief Marketing Officer at 3DM. We are a 3D and AR infrastructure, really powering enterprise brands to bring 3D and AR to their e-commerce experiences. So really changing the game in terms of accessibility, uh, democratizing the tech, and excited to dive in with you on all things crypto and what it means uh, for 3D and AR as well. Awesome. Yes. And so we're going to go uh, through a variety of topics today. So, um, But today I want to start with, I think, one of the biggest changes, uh, the largest wallet that exists today, Web3 Wallet, which you know you can love it, you can hate it, whatever the case is. But MetaMask has really kind of paved the way for most of us to be able to use, explore, and, and pretend like it's a safe option for cryptocurrencies and your, put your life savings in. Um, and, and they're finally announcing, you know, when, when uh, Ethereum was at, what, $4,500, they announced a buy button uh, so that you could buy more. Um, now that it's down around 1600, they've introduced sell. So they're, they're really kind of adding the wrong options at the, uh, at the wrong height of the, the market here. Um, currently it's the sell button is available for us users, uh, us, UK and certain parts of Europe. Users can convert their crypto to fiat currency, sending it to uh, a bank account, uh, or PayPal. MetaMask uh, plans to expand this service globally. Uh, they have 30 million monthly users, and they aim to make Web3 more accessible with fewer intermediaries. Um, Janine, let's jump right over to you. This is your world and, and what you deal with every day. So um, good good option to use, or what, what are we dealing with here? Uh, look, I mean, I think stepping back from MetaMask as a wallet, which I find is just absolutely atrocious user experience and entirely, um, you know, there's a lot that they need to work on there. But coming back to them opening up more Fiat on and off ramp options, Fiat being just a fancy word for normal currency, US dollars, euro, etc. Um, that's really fantastic to see because those channels are really challenging. Like this is my bread and butter. Our business is Fiat on and off ramp. 
in every new country that we try to open up in, it's really complicated. There's a lot of hurdles to jump through. So to see MetaMask be able to open this up to not the whole world, but a large chunk of people in, I guess, the more Western and developed countries, that's a great step forward. And it is, you know, definitely going to help that mission of getting more people easier access into cryptocurrency. Now I'd just like them to work on the security features and make MetaMask a bit safer and make the user experience better. But hey, little steps, right? So when people think of MetaMask, you know, generally they think of, you know, true DeFi, you know, non anonymity, um, and just kind of like, hey, I do whatever I want. You know, you, you, this is my keys. It's my crypto. Um, and I think there's going to be a relatively large departure for most people that want to use this, this option to understand that it's not going to be, uh, you're going to have to expose your wallet, correct? Yeah, and this is one of the things is that wherever crypto touches fiat or sort of comes back into the real world of traditional finance, you're going to have KYC, um, which is, you know, identifying yourself, providing your ID, associating you as a real individual with a particular wallet address. So it is something for people to be mindful of, you know, where we're losing that um, anonymity, that privacy by moving into you know, these fed on and off ramps, there really isn't any way around that unless you're going to go peer to peer, which has its own challenges, complexities, and, um, you know, certain amount of dodginess associated with it. If you're going through any centralized service, you're going to have to do the KYC route. Um, but I think we're going to talk a little bit later in the session about some of the new things that are coming up that might help us with privacy, despite that regulatory oversight, which is pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, I think it's great to see MetaMask moving into the space, even though they are a competitor of mine. It's, you know, the more the merrier and the more we can grow the size of the pie and make this more accessible, the better. It's hard to think of a, a Chrome extension as a competitor to a regulated exchange. But, but you know, this is the new world we live in. Exactly. Fabulous. Michael, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I think uh, you mentioned the KYC piece of it. I think MetaMask introducing this new on and off ramp, you know, I think it was maybe just a couple of months ago, they had integrated with Apple Pay. So I think they're really trying to make strides into that ease of use for users on and off ramp. And I, I just really love your point too, that yes, MetaMask, kind of the big 300-pound uh, gorilla in terms of wallets and 330 million active users or whatever the number was. Um, but I think... Most people realizing that you're going to have to KYC uh, the on and off, that MetaMask doesn't represent this kind of degen anonymity that you described, Jay, that I think has really somewhat plagued uh, the, the blockchain and crypto markets over the last 18 months because people did feel like it was uh, a MetaMask kind of world and uh, in an unregulated way that they could transact. And I think MetaMask with an on and off ramp, going to force you to KYC, great, no, no big deal. Um, and, and I think at the end of the day, that's going to be good for, for consumers. Yeah, I think we can see, and, and this is, you know, not meant to be, uh, mean, but you can see the adults showing up in the room. <clears throat> you know, during this last wave, there was, there was so much money made and so much money lost that finally, you know, regulators around the world started to pay attention to the cryptocurrency market, which is rather, rather nascent. You know, a one trillion dollar industry is like, you know, there's banks that, that hold more in assets. Um, you know, we hit three trillion dollars and that was a big deal. And, and it, and a lot of money was made and there was a lot of money lost. And so, it kind of made people pay attention because anytime you you have somebody that loses money, um, you know they start crying, crying foul and everything else. Um, and so it's interesting to see the maturity starting to show up in the space because KYC is not meant to be a bad thing. Um, you know, it's it depends on the country you live in what what that means for you and your tax exposure and everything else. Uh, but but I'm really excited to see this happen. As we kind of dive into you know a little bit more in the DeFi world, uh, and just came out literally uh, earlier today, uh, Visa, who has been you know heavy, heavy, heavy uh, into blockchain for a while, this is their their infrastructure. They they 
run on Swift. Uh, they run, they've run on their own kind of uh, centralized system that was an alternative to Swift for, Swift for, for settling payments because they're that large. Um, they're now moving over to Solana to manage kind of stablecoin settlements. Uh, and so Visa, a, a global payments leader, is expanding its stablecoin settlement cap- capabilities to the Solana blockchain, collaborating with merchant acquirers WorldPay and Nuvi. Uh, this move follows a successful pilot with Crypto.com in 2021. Visa aims to enhance cross-border settlement speed and efficiency by leveraging stablecoins like USDC uh, and blockchain networks. This is, I think, one of the biggest news you know that we're going to see right now, and I think it's huge news for Solana because that's always been the, the case: is Ethereum is just too slow. Uh, Visa transacts at approximately four hundred thousand transactions per second, and they need something that's that's very quick. Uh, Michael, I'd love for you to kind of explain why cross-border payments are so important, um, especially in terms of of what Visa is using them for. Well, I, before I explain why maybe cross-border payments are so important, I, I will sort of call marketing on this one in terms of this is a business wire release. Yep. Uh, this is a visa owned message. And since when was Solana a stable coin? Um, <laughs> you know, the headline expands stable coin settlement. I'm thinking to myself, Oh, okay. By default now we're, we're, we're just lumping Solana into that. Uh, I'm not so sure where they're getting that definition. I think Visa is really trying to keep themselves relevant here. Visa makes billions of dollars off of micro fees, micro, mm-hmm. you know, a, a tiny hundredth of a penny for every time that credit card gets swiped. They've got to be nervous when you start to think about cross-border payments that no longer need their rails. Uh, that's where I see this as them really trying to uh, be again another example of a 300 pound gorilla in the room, but hey guys, don't forget us. We need and are running real time payment processing using blockchain, uh, stable coin Solana. I'm not so sure, but yes, cross border payments at the end of the day, I think are what are driving Visa and all of the other money movers, uh, and other financial institutions to have a solution to real time payments. This one seems weird to me though. Why, why Visa's pumping Solana as a stablecoin. And there is quite a bit that's happening in this into, you know, cross-border payments as well. Like, you know, obviously Swift is is the 300-pound gorilla when it comes to banking. You know, Visa and MasterCard do it for merchants, uh, Swift for banking. And Swift, you know, for a while now, been dipping their toe in and out of blockchain. And I saw, you know, they were recently talking about um, doing a trial with Chainlink that just came out on the news. But then we're seeing quite a lot that's happening, which isn't being as publicized as much. You know, Stellar, the Stellar Foundation, they've been, looking at, you know, cross-chain, cross-borders being their thing for a long time. And they're working with MoneyGram and have um, outlets in, I think, you know, well over 100 countries around the world. Uh, Ripple with XRP and their um, on-demand liquidity, they're getting into cross-border settlements quite a bit as well. There's a lot of banks dipping toes in. In my area of the world, in Australia, we're seeing a lot of banks create stable coins and looking at using those for cross-border payments um, bank to bank as well. So there is a lot of activity going on, but yeah, I agree with Michael. This one smells a bit more like a PR initiative than an actual. You know, Janine, you, you bring up a really good point and it's, it, they, they kind of shunned Ripple in this case. Like Ripple, this is what they do. I mean, they, they have, and they have the largest institutions around the planet already signed up. So it seems a little bit of like, you know, double, double work to go ahead and try to create a, a parallel, 
uh, you know, hey, look at us over here versus like, let's use the system that's already kind of uh, gone out there. So I think it's probably a little bit of control and, and probably a little well, PR, but very interesting if, to hear. If the Fed is partnering with with and Ripple and all accounts seem to think that that's the case and, and, and perhaps Fed now running on XRP, that's interesting, right? That then Visa is a little nervous and they've got to pick their partners. Yep. And I think this is signaling, uh, and I, that's a really good takeaway actually, that they're 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 turning their back a little bit there on XRP will not be who they partner with. Yeah, and we'll see because it, we haven't seen, you know, reg tech is, <laughs> I guess that's one of the things we love talking about here the most. Uh, but, but it's still like such the most clouded part of, of cryptocurrencies because everything's transparent except for the regulators. Um, and so that's kind of the, that's, that's the challenge that we have is like, we just don't know what's going through Gensler's head. We don't know, you know, he says one thing on camera, he tweets another thing and then, and then sues, sues the same company that he just said he was approving something for. So it's, it's really been, the hardest part to follow and say, how do you, you pick your horse? How do you make your investments in the space? Where do you build? And, and honestly, maybe that is just them hedging their bets. You know, I'm, I'm sure they've had conversations with Ripple. I know that they're doing their own thing. Uh, this just may be kind of like, you know, their tech team just said, Hey, we want to run some trials on Solana. Here you go. So very interesting. So, uh, jumping over to, uh, sticking with the, comp- the, the regulation side of things, Soma Finance, uh, in a collaboration with Mantra and, uh, Tritium Capital, uh, intends to issue a compliant digital security for global and U.S., uh, retail investors. The Soma token, uh, is going to be, uh, basically offering up to 10% of Soma's profits, uh, representing a non-cumulative, uh, uh participating preferred stock of Soma.finance. I think this is really interesting. And, and, and again, this is so boring for most people, but understand that this is what all the NFT projects were trying to do. This is what, you know, kind of most cryptocurrencies were trying to do is they were trying to do, you know, an IPO of sorts where they're going to offer a stock and, and basically say, look, if you, if you hold the stock and if you give it and if you stake it and you hold it, you know, we're going to pay you dividends or, or some sort of, you know, APY. Um, and, and so here you go. Soma doing it the the legal way. They've they've uh, acquired uh, uh, under fin, Finma uh, regulators. So this is an SEC compliance token that they're selling. It'll all be KYC'd, AML'd. It's in a it's in a controlled marketplace. Uh, will probably not be able to be done on on MetaMask and others. Um, and if it does, again, still you're going to be KYC'd into um, known wallets and everything else. Uh, but but I think it's an interesting step and an interesting concept. We work on this quite a bit in in Y Whales, you know, kind of reg tech and, and related to blockchain technologies. Um, but Janine, you know, you tell me, would would you start listing these these securities uh, on Easy Crypto? I mean, I think this is fascinating because for a long time I've been sort of saying like, you, you know, the future where we're heading is towards the digitization of assets and it's not just about cryptocurrency. It's about how does, you know, all of our financial products, services move more digital and it also helps address, you know, some of those criticisms of cryptocurrency of it being a Ponzi scheme where it's just some people win, some people lose. It's a zero sum game. And it's like here we've got real world companies with real world profits and dividends going digital, which is great. Um I probably wouldn't list it because I probably couldn't because it's, it is a security. It will yep. have things like product disclosure statements. There'll be a whole lot of 
um, requirements wrapped around it, which we won't yet be set up for. But I did have a question on this, Jay, as to, you know, so this is a security when it's issued. They have to, you know, issue it to KYC wallets that meet certain, you know, requirements for the issuance of that security. How are they controlling the secondary market? Like once I have that token in my wallet, can I just sell it peer to peer to someone else, list it on a DeFi exchange? Like how's that? Do you, do you know how they're controlling I, it? I went and really went to look at this and, and the answer should be no. They, unless it's going broker to broker, you're represented. So, I mean, it really again, if you're if you're Finra compliant, that means that you have to have you have to have known counterparty risk. You have to be OFAC compliant. So, you could not go out on a DeFi exchange. So, most likely, they're going to do what all the other uh, tokenizers do, which they, they and they're and, and this is not new. There's a lot of people that tokenize real estate, tokenized uh, you know true true stocks and everything else. Um, you just end up with a dark pool, a closed loop of which you know you can only trade by other people that are also uh, already right. owned and so that's KYC controlled by the smart contracts that the tokens issued on. Okay. Yeah, and and we play around with a lot of the stuff. You know, we're bringing uh, you know what we believe will become some of the first you know legal carbon credits uh, to market, sure. as well as other securities. And and it's a very different world that you have to play in um, because you have to have those disclosures. You have to have all that that again paperwork done up front, um, mm-hmm. and it's not just done one time. It's on every single time you purchase. Or sell. There's those disclosures that are required. You know, Michael, you're in, you're in DC, so you you're seeing this stuff constantly of, of the race to get real world assets on chain. Um, but it's also that kind of battle with the regulators. Yeah, and I I've got a lot to get to. You guys covered it so well, but I was I was jumping at the bit. Janine, I think you you called it when you said it will be a security. You know, Jay at the, at, at the uh, the risk of getting too excited to see somebody do it in a compliant manner. Uh, and the, and I think the main piece there is that the compliancy is being derived through FINRA. So mm-hmm. we talk a lot about Gensler. We talk a lot about the SEC. It's a governing body. FINRA is deriving its, its power, but it is a member organization with its own set of regulations where the broker dealers have to meet those standards. And I yep. think, you know, and, and I, I need to dig on this, but, and maybe you have the answer, but I think then if they're selling these, uh, these tokenized digital securities, compliant, uh, stocks, digital stocks, NFTs, call them whatever you want to call them, <laughs> on-chain assets, if they're selling them, then who they're selling them to must be known. Then, then, and then the broker dealer has that KYC back again to it's a known entity, therefore avoiding any secondary sales. That's, that's my hot take. Yeah. And, and, and they're most likely, you know, reg A, um, you know, reg D, reg D, you know, I, I don't know what they, they literally have not put their disclosures. They put the press release out. And so we wanted to talk about it, but, but this is going to be like their marketing is going to have to be controlled. Um, the fact that they put this <laughs> press release out, like they may have already violated. <laughs> what they're doing here. So um, I, I think that most people don't understand is that like the world of small, you know, I, you know, I, you know, like pre IPO is a very regulated market. You know what the marketing is one of the most controlled things that you can do. Um, and so the fact that they put this out and talked about it, you know, they, they may not even know that they just violated something, but I, I, I hope, and I really do hope for the sake of this, you know, would I invest in these guys? Eh, you know what? I might buy a couple of their tokens here or there. Um, just, just to, just to support the project, which is usually what I do. Um, but I think that what's so important is if they're successful and they really do this the right way, it's a good blueprint for, again, other people to be able to see and follow this. And while it's a lot more work and you're going to have to spend time with some lawyers and, and some of the most expensive lawyers, because, um, you know, SEC lawyers, especially in the United States are, are not cheap and they're not easy 
easy to find. Um, th- this is, you know, again, moving down that path, as I said, the maturity that, that the adults are starting to enter the room and say, like, look, it's great that we can just do this, but let's push the technology aside and let's do the hard work, which is that, you know, ground layer of, of regulation and compliance, um, because then the technology suddenly makes so much more sense. Uh, it, it opens up so many more doors and then we get to the that decentralized marketplace that we really want. But but we're all going to be kind of known at that point. Perfect. I so, want to know. I want to know who I'm transacting with, right? At the end of the day, but and, and even if you don't know, you just want to know that you're not that you're OFAC compliant. And I think that's the biggest thing is that you know when we say like, and I think this is you know just take a quick second, and, and I'd love both of your opinions on this. Like we hit three trillion dollars and we came crashing back down. You know, Bitcoin hit you know th- these big numbers and it comes crashing back down. The the reality is is that the reason why it, it continues to have this, this these violent movements up and comes crashing back down is it's not safe. It's not not safe to put your money in here. And so if we're saying we want institutions, you want these large financial institutions that can easily push, you know, the, the you know, and I say cryptocurrency market with, with, you know, quotation marks, but if we want to push this thing to, you know, five, 10, 20, a hundred trillion dollars, the technology is not the problem. Some, some of it, a little bit here and there, bridges. Um, but, but the bigger thing is, is that it has to be safer. The right, you know, you have to have fiduciary responsibility for these large institutions to know that their counterparty risk is being taken care of. You have to be OFAC compliant. It's one of Ripple's biggest challenges is they have to be able to say, like, look, technology they've done. They did that a long time ago. Now they just have to make sure that these large institutions, you know, are, are comfortable and know that they're not going to get in trouble from using this technology. Mm-hmm. And I, Jay, I don't probably imagine it made the news in um, America, but New Zealand just lost its uh, last standing crypto exchange, um, went into liquidation, owing lots of money to customers. And it's that same, it's that exact same issue, right? Counterparty risk. There isn't sufficient regulation around custodial exchanges to ensure yep. they're holding the assets and managing them properly. There isn't sufficient audit. Um, I would say though, you say the technology is not the problem, but I think it possibly is a bit, right? Like, and we're moving to a post, I believe we're moving to a post seed phrase world. And I think that will be a huge step in the right direction. But at the moment for corporates, for institutions, the technology isn't good enough. You can't have a, you know, a big corporate or a big institutional player managing seed phrases. That's just not, it just doesn't work. But I I think that, I think that, you know. That that has a whole raft of other issues, as you've noted. But when I say that, I I say like Fireblocks can do it. Like, is it is it may not be cheap. I mean, you know, Fireblocks is what seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year for for kind of their base level account, and then it goes up from there. So it may not be cheap, but it's it's definitely possible. And there's not a single we use it, and you know, I don't. There's no seed phrase that we hold. So I I think the Fireblocks is a great example of the post seed phrase world, right? They're on MPC. We've got things like. Um, you know, EIP four three three seven coming out, which moves into the account abstraction mm-hmm. plan. It's like that's where I think the industry is heading, and I think seed phrases will be a thing of the past. Hopefully, another five ten years, except for perhaps the diehards um, who want to still calculate their own um, notes yeah. and everything. That, yeah, yeah, there, and there's listen, there's still people that are hiding, you know, money under the mattress, and that's entirely fine. But you know, the, the concept that I say that the technology is mature enough, it, we can transact fast enough, cheap enough, and and securely enough. That, you know, again, if we're talking about securities, you're going to be trading derivatives anyway. Like you, you have to have proper custodians. And that's the thing that most people are missing in this is that like you can't hold your own securities. You have to have a licensed custodian. Most, and that's what a bank is, uh, that holds those. You can still trade them around and, and execute on behalf of there. But, but that's, you know, when I go buy something on the NASDAQ, it's not Jay Steinbeck going and, and buying something on the NASDAQ. It, it's, it's a, it's a broker that's doing it for me. 
It's a bit ironic though, right? Because we've kind of, we've taken this crypto thing, which we <laughs> built as this like, you know, not your keys, not your crypto, be your own bank, step outside of this TradFi world. I mean, you know, look at the first Bitcoin block and, you know, the yeah. text and that. And now we're sort of doing this full circle back to, oh, but we're going to have someone else, some institution, some intermediary, some third party hold our assets for us. Like, I don't know. I still think there's a place for it. You know, some people will always want that. But yeah. I think there's a place where you can hold your own derivatives. You can have your own, you know, securities in your wallet. You don't have to have them sitting with a third party custodian because what have we been building this for if that's where we land up? We've been building this to replace Swift. And we at least have transparency that we can at least, we can at least see who's screwing us. Yeah, at the speed of the transactions, I think it's a good point though. Like, why are we doing this if we're going to come all the way back around to custodians holding and and doing this thing? But I do think that to get to widespread adoption, I, I almost think if it's um uh I don't know, people, you know, once you get a certain amount of money in a bank account, you get a private banker and 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 are they keeping your money in a in a different vault than the other people's? No, it's it's Right. I think you could almost get to the point where uh, fiduciaries at that point are maybe encouraging, you know, uh, different types of hardware security. And you are talking about seed phrase, manage, seed phrase management amongst your family and in your, in your other living trusts and wills and things where that starts to come into play, where it almost flips it back around where you're holding your most wealth. Uh, and you do truly have self-custody. And that concept of self-custody, uh, I think there's a lot of education, especially here in the States, uh, around what that even means. I, I think people think when they're, you know, they're looking at their checking account that that's, that they have complete access to that. And, uh, I've heard some of the stories in New Zealand and Australia about cash. And, and I don't yeah. think that people in the U.S. really understand where, you know, where this could go. Yeah, I, you mean the you fact know, that we don't have cash anymore? Yeah, it's gone, right? Pretty much. Like most stores don't accept cash. There's, you know, I guess robbery, AML, all of those issues. Most places you go don't accept cash, but um, it's 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 not gone, but it's it's very uncommon. That, 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 and that's and that's where we want kind of blockchain because we can at least see, you know, where mm-hmm. this where this money is going to his transactions. So it's very interesting. Um, shifting shifting over, and again, I'm I'm gonna leave this as a. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, Circle, uh, which is a, a, a very known stablecoin issuer, we just heard them talk. You know, they're in partnership. You know, working with with Visa um, over on Solana, but they're also went ahead and did native USDC, and I think this is really important. USDC on on Coinbase's new base uh, layer two blockchain, which is uh, a layer two over Ethereum. Uh, the expansion allows businesses to use USDC directly on on this network, eliminating the need to bridge um, bridges and wallets. To me, are the two largest problems in, in Web three. Um, and so eliminating a bridge that, that holds these things and wraps USDC is a big, big deal over here. Um, again, we'll, let's just jump over Janine. You know, this is, this is your world. Um, I, I, you know, I have not used base yet. Uh, you know, it's, there's, there's not much there going on, uh, at this time, but what's your thoughts on, you know, again, seeing more native coins and eliminating these bridges? Yeah, absolutely. Like it's so important to be issuing direct on on the layer ones and layer twos. And I think so it's it's great that Circle have done this, that USDC is available on more spaces. You know, as we talked about already, Michael referenced it earlier and Jay, you know, you just said bridges. Bridges are a nightmare. Like they are so complicated. Very few people can uh, you know, accurately understand and read the smart contracts to know exactly how those bridges are working. And then there's always exploits being found. So most of the losses in DeFi are through bridge exploits. So the less we can rely on bridges, the more we can use native um, stacks, you know, to have more variability is is great. Um, 
like you said, there's not not heaps happening on base at the moment, but Coinbase are investing hugely in it. They're really pushing it, pushing it to developers. So I think we will see more happening in base, whether they can lure enough people over from, you know, Ethereum is, I think, always going to be the winner in the space because people build on Ethereum because of passion and love and just like real belief in the protocol. I don't think base will get that, but the commercials will probably have a bit of sway. So I think we'll see more happening on base. And um. I do just have to, before I chuck it over to Michael for his thoughts, I just thought I'd highlight a tweet that I saw um, this week, which just cracked me up from the uh, head of strategy at Solana. And as you guys might remember, Solana has been plagued with outages and challenges and been absolutely slammed, you know, particularly last year. It hasn't been so bad this year. Um, but in the wake of the base outage this week, we had a, a tweet from the head of Solana saying, it's only an outage if it comes from the Solana region of San Diego County. Otherwise, it's just a sparkling stall in blockchain production. So um, props to uh, Slider for that bit of uh, comedic gold. But yeah, definitely interesting to see what's happening on base. And what do you reckon, Michael? Are you guys using base or, you know, seeing a lot of demand for it? No. And and I think, so not a lot of action, but my my take would be, uh, and this will get us to some of the the Bitcoin ETF stuff uh, here in the States, but because Coinbase is being listed as a surveillance partner in a lot of the uh, Bitcoin ETF applications, it makes me interested when you say the commercial arrangements that Coinbase would be able to uh, to bolster there. I can imagine if they're going in as a surveillance partner to a big institution and that institution says, oh, I'd like to build an app you know, all of a sudden, oh, here you go. Here's here's our layer two where you could now operate that and know that they're doing it in a compliant way that's not going to interfere with any of their other uh, compliance challenges at the moment. Now, to be sure, the ETFs haven't been approved. I know we can get to this too, but... Yeah, um, we'll, just, we'll dive into it right here. Let's, let's, but, I, but I do think that's why, uh, you know, I would say stay tuned on base. I wouldn't rule them out. Not a lot of action, as you said, but don't count out. <laughs> Listen, it's hard to get super excited about a layer two right now. I mean, there's there's so many of them, and um, but I think it's interesting. Again, when you put it in context with uh, a majority BlackRock, uh, a lot of the ETF providers are are stating that you know in their application that they're going to use Coinbase as their custodian. Um, and, and if you're using Coinbase as the custodian, that means that there's going to need to be you know how is it going to be interacting with various blockchains? How's it you know it's going to be there? Um, it's going to come through base, and so I don't. You know, there is no token for base, um, which means that gas fees or however they end up charging for usage on this. Right now, I don't believe they're charging anything. They're just kind of, you know, letting everyone play around. It's a very low cost way that they're doing it. Um, but, but this could be a huge moneymaker, uh, as people want to interact with Ethereum and, and, you know, the, the gatekeeper, um, is now not just Coinbase, but their base, uh, chain there. What's your, what's your thoughts on that, Michael? I mean, that, that is exactly right. I think that they, they've already seeded the market in terms of they are now, be, you know, everyone's clamoring to list Coinbase. People are redoing their applications because that's the secret ticket uh, to really getting regulatory approval. So yeah, of course, then just make the base layer two, open it to everybody and, and immediately you've got a, you know, a, a, a really strong supply and demand dynamic there, uh, which is going to draw people into building on that layer too. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what people start with. And and as the drumbeat starts from Coinbase, uh, they will probably roll out a full marketing ploy of what's being built on base. So I'd say that that would be the signal uh, to look for is when they start rolling out their first, you know, base 
campaign, something yeah. built on base. I bet but that now, would be the hashtag. Yeah, but as a, as a blockchain, Janine, like they got a lot of work to do on this. Like it's, you know, it's not, they didn't invent this from scratch, but, but it, it's off to a pretty rocky start with a number of rugs and, and reboots and, and other things. Oh, you're muted. Yeah, like Michael says, though, Coinbase has the, um, in New Zealand we call it mana, the like, the gravitas, the reputation, the name. So, and they've got the money as well, right? So um, I think we'll we'll see those things ironed out and we'll see Coinbase have a, a bit of a gravitational pull that attracts more projects and particularly more regulated institutional, um, you know, tra- traditional Web2 players into that ecosystem. We'll see. Yeah, we- We've been talking about it a lot. So that again, buzz, you know, bad news is good news. You know, it's, there's no such thing. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how they continue to evolve. And then, you know, Solano last year was getting all the trash, which is why the tweet was so funny because, you know, they had, they literally just go, look, we can reboot the thing. Let's go ahead and fix these problems. We're still in very much in beta phase. Um, and I have not heard of Solano going down in, in, in quite a bit. So, uh, I, I think base has a much higher <laughs> budget, uh, to get this done and a lot higher, uh, talents. You know, Brian Armstrong has been openly recruiting, uh, people to, to build on base. So I think it's going to be very interesting to watch. Uh, and again, there's no tokens. So you can't invest in it unless you truly invest in, in, uh, an, already their, their stock, which is, you know, uh, Coinbase. Coin. Um, let's take a, a pivot and we'll, we'll leave the world of cryptocurrencies and let's head over to, uh, Michael, your world. Uh, so prophecy markets insight reports on the augmented reality and virtual reality, uh, healthcare market, um, shows amazing growth opportunities, challenges, and trends. It covers market size, key players, and distribution channels. Uh, the market is expected to grow from 1.3 billion in, uh, from where it was in 2020 to almost $8 billion by 2030. Uh, these technologies enhance medical training, patient care, surgery, therapy by creating uh, interactive, stimulated environments. Uh, there's a lot of testing going on in this in this space, and I really do. We've had a number of people come on the podcast and talk about, uh, you know, VR, AR, and XR as related, uh, you know, to kind of Web three. But Michael, this is right in your world. What do you think? Yeah, I love it. I mean, I'm extremely bullish on 3D and AR. I think we've got the 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 coming Apple Vision Pro um, brands are starting to invest in 3D. They're they're seeing a need for a serious infrastructure around their assets. You know, we talked about reg tech c- coming from the cryptocurrency world, but the 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 health tech world uh, that that is emerging. And you think about augmented reality in the hospital with doctors training, you know, in on a digital twin of a patient that can have. Uh, a full immersive experience without putting anyone in danger and all of the data that can be collected from that, all of the, uh, you know, AI models that can be trained based off of a 3D and AR experience to watch a, a human interact with that product or with that thing or with that, uh, when you think hospital, you imagine somebody doing a surgery. I would love to see and know that my doctors were trained, you know, using uh, this advanced uh, an immersive technology. And I think we've seen a lot of this even in um, in other industries as well, using VR for training in, in industrial complexes for, for worker safety. So yeah, yeah to, to see uh, these stats around specifically the medical industry, I have no doubt it is going to continue to explode. And, and hospitals are also a great place to um, to bring that technology even to the patients. Think about for you know, for therapeutic reasons or uh, even just simple communication to be able to use an immersive experience to to be in a metaverse, uh, dare I say. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, one of the things I, I find so interesting is 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 XR. You know, extending reality, and it's a combination of of VR and AR. And you know, Janine, um, you know, we saw this years ago. Facebook, you know, tried to do their their glasses, and that was you know considered a little bit of AR, a little bit of XR. Um, but you know, that was almost a decade ago at this point. You know, the technology is is quickly advanced. There's there's been so many things here. Um, you know, would would you like? Are you excited about you know the Vision Pro? Are you excited about the, the thought of putting this thing on your face? And, and kind of interacting with the world? I've got to say I'm not, but um, I wouldn't take it. I wouldn't take my advice when it comes to trends. I remember when the iPad came out and I was like, what's the point of this thing? And I'm, I'm constantly underestimating tech trends. So I've just learned to ignore whatever I think. Um, but I, I did see, you know, interesting, you've got another um, you know, article we were talking about, Jay, that Meta is reportedly partnering with LG to create a competitor to Apple Vision Pro. And I find that quite interesting given Meta's history of, investing billions of dollars in projects that they then axe. And I guess, you know, when you're a big company with a lot of money and a huge market share you need to try and uh, protect, um, you know, it makes sense to throw, to throw you know, punches at different things. But Meta does seem to have a recent history of really overextending themselves in areas that don't pay off. And, you know, I know they've pulled the plug on a lot of their um, virtual reality stuff. They pulled a plug on a lot of their crypto stuff. So, yeah, I mean, Michael, what's your views on this? Are we going to see this be a success for Meta? Are they going to come back from what looks like burying themselves in an early grave? Yeah, they're already buried and Apple's going to win this game. Um, and I think I can tie all of this together too. With This this signals to me that what Apple brought to market, at least what's about to come to market. And and I'm with you, Janine. I'm not, I'm in this industry. And, and Jay, I saw you holding up your headset. I'm not, I'm not overly excited about being inside of this, this world. Uh, inside of the goggles, but the extending the reality through my existing device, through my camera on my phone, is where I think Apple will win the hardware game. Uh, I think pay attention to the September 15th iPhone announcements. I'll be looking for clues around AR that will show up in the camera that I think will signal where they're going with Apple Vision Pro. But at the end of the day, I log into my phone using my face I am fully KYC'd with my optic ID. I pay for things to get shipped to my house. I pay bills using Apple Pay. Uh, Apple is going to be able to facilitate a full immersive commerce experience using my face to KYC, using their payment rails. Imagine real-time payments you know, running via Apple Pay uh, to be able to do and transact inside of this extended reality world. Mm-hmm. I think Meta's already lost this game. Yeah, no, I think one of the, the, the most important things to really understand is, you know, you're, you're going head to head. You know, Meta continually does this. And I, I hold this up because here's the, the $1,500, um, you know, whatever whatever in the world that, that, that Facebook put out. And it turns out that it was not just incredibly expensive, it was only half as expensive as what Apple's going to bring to market. Um, and, and you're right, they're going to win because it's going to be beautiful, it's going to be gorgeous, and it's going to work. There's no difference between this and, and the $300 one. There really isn't. Like, it's just heavier and, and more annoying to deal with. But, you know, the concepts that they were trying to do was correct, but they have to outsource all of it. And they're outsourcing it to the lowest bidder. Um, and so LG, at least, you know, they're elevating, you know, a little bit of, of, of what they're doing 
there, but I, I think that we're going to be in this hardware battle for quite a while. Um, and it's, and it's right now we've already got it. It's Android versus, versus Apple. And, and there's a variety, there's a whole bunch of people making Android devices and some people love them. And I don't understand, you know, why, but that's okay. Um, everyone's, I love happy. my Android device. See, that's I okay. We don't... Apple, cause I, I dropped my phone and broke it and I happened to have a, a recent Apple model lying around. So I tried using it. I was just like, I can't. No, I'm not going back there. But actually, <sighs> I put a question on that, Jay. Like, what's the interoperability, or maybe it's one for Michael on these hardware, you know, battles like will they be you can only use this device with these software applications or will there be a, an interoperability layer that you know we can just pick and choose between i'm i'm absolutely hoping that that 3dm is helping build that interoperability layer okay. which is we are basing uh everything that we build on webgl and to yep. be able to run web ar so meaning anything that would work in the browser mm-hmm. uh would then work inside of these extended reality uh, experiences and that could still be in your browser on a on a 2D screen or on your phone. You could still have this 3D uh, and augmented reality experience. But at the end of the day, if it works on the web, HTML uh, inside of a, a, a Chrome browser, that's our hope that that is what creates the interoperability, so that we're not having to build uh, bespoke gaming environments or you know Unreal Engine environments that. I, I I think those will exist, but that will not be the interoperable. It, and there's a number of these these WebGL you know style style uh, you know platforms that exist, and I think it's really important. You know, Janine, it's a really important question: is you know, are you going to be stuck? Like, if you buy one brand versus the other, do you not get the app everything else? And and what we're seeing, you know, with with 3 uh with Michael and, and a variety of others in the marketplace, is they they just they don't want to do the apps anymore. It's just another thing to maintain. It's another you know problem. And and the browser, you know, what you can do with browsers and what you can store in cache nowadays is more than sufficient. Um, instead of having to download a you know five gigabyte thing that you're going to have to be connected anyway. So there's there's a lot of the technology that's been working on this for a long, long time. I mean, originally Apple did not have apps, um, and and then they brought them in, and they've been kind of you know that's their walled garden. That's where they make a ton of money. But I'd say a majority of the projects that we're seeing, you know, like like 3 dm they're like, nope, just go to the address. You can still make a you know you can still save it. It looks like an app. It, Acts like an app. It's just not a, a native app. And I think that's how people are going to interact uh, with 3D and AR generally. <clears throat> so to hear that stat, and going back to the hospital article, but but generally speaking, these new immersive environments, I think most people will experience them on their phone first, and they're going to experience them on a on a standard website URL. Um, I'm not a gamer, so I don't I don't you know. Uh, log in and play play video games, um, but people you know people who do that uh, enjoy that experience. I enjoy uh, interacting with the 3D and AR, and I'm not a gamer. That's how I sort of looking at people's behavior, shopping behavior. Um, you don't have to be. It's going to be just as ubiquitous as a 2D image. I think is the best way to put it. You, you're going to start to expect it. And Jay, I think I told you the story about my 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 kid, my my six year old son. You know, I set a 3D model down in front of him, and he immediately put his phone down and started swirling around on it. And it's like, how did he know it it did that? Yeah. And and that's when I see that that user behavior. Everyone's really comfortable on that phone. People know how to navigate uh, a web browser and a, a shopping experience. But the moment you introduce this 3D immersive, they just understand it. It's, it's a natural behavior. You know, I think and, Apple's banking on that as well. Yeah, and I think that if we're going to bring this back into like why why is you know AR VR XR you know part of Web three? If we start to work inside this you know web 
you know, part, you know, just web world, there's no apps downloaded, everything else. We suddenly have a problem that you have to deal with. And that's who in the world are these people? How do you log in? Who do you log out? And we're getting back to the idea of like ownership that like I have, you know, something that looks like a, a you know, the web wallets that we have today are, are very archaic and, and they'll be replaced here soon. Um, the concept that like the data that, that I use when I play the various games, when I log into the various devices, like I should own that. That should be on somewhere on a server that I control and I can choose who uses what. So that's really where we're going to start to see a lot of this is that you don't need to have an account, you know, with Apple or Facebook anymore. They're the ones that are asking you, can't, do you want to use our app? And then, and then we get to hold our data, um, you know, very much from our centralized. Uh, wallets that store our assets, that store our stats, and and do what we want with them there. That's the holy grail, is it not, Janine? Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, going back to that interoperability piece, it's like, yeah, I hold my, you know, my data, my stack, whatever it is, but I can port it, I can use it wherever, I can monetize it in different avenues and all of that, you know. I do think interoperability is still a very big question mark, though. Um, But it is heartening to see how much we as, you know, a society, we build interoperability anywhere. Like, you know, crypto started from these separate layer ones and then we built layer twos and we built bridges and it's like, you know, wallets are multi-chain or some of them are and it's like interoperability, you know, even with apps, right? You know, you had those two separate app stores, Android and Apple, and now it's like you can just build one app and launch it in both because mm-hmm. we've built those interoperability layers. So I do have confidence that interoperability, you know, if they if you build it, interoperability will come. Yeah, yeah. I, I think these new XR worlds whether they're through a headset or through your phone or through these immersive web experiences, that's going to be the interface for generative AI. And we haven't talked about AI quite quite yeah, yet here, but I'm not talking about AI. I don't know how how we've gone that long, but I really see those are going to be the environments where Jay, to your point, I love you know tying that back to if I have something in this 3D environment, I need to to know that this digital person is is who they say they are, mm-hmm. uh, or that these digital things are owned, and, and that concept of ownership, the blockchain is the answer, uh, and I think that's where. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see how the regulatory market plays out as Apple steps further into this immersive world yep. and them wanting to activate the commerce layer with Apple Pay. All of a sudden, you're going to need a way to port the stuff I buy uh, in my digital wallet to my other hardware wallet or to my other MetaMask wallet or whatever it may be. Um, I yeah, own it, right? Yeah, and there's no ecosystem that's really solved this. And and you know the way I can bring AI into, into the conversation pretty easily is is token gating. You know some of the concepts that we've we've all played around with for token gating and everything else. Like that's the protection against AI. You know right now it's it's we don't have really anything. You know AI gets your password and and it can do all sorts of things. Um, a lot of hackers are using AI to because it's the speed and efficiency of which it has. So the concepts that we have about being able to identify these bots, being able to token gate and keep them out of places. Um, you know, a lot of websites are kind of doing it very archaically by just saying, you know, hey, if you're if you're scraping too much too quickly, we're going to slow you down. But they don't know who, who what, when, where, why. So the, the concept around registration uh, of these, and, and you know, we'll all have a personal AI system. We'll all have our Jarvis that, that knows our email, knows our tone, knows knows our stuff. Um, but, but where we allow that to work and the constraints we put in there, like, is going to be needed by that same wallet that we play games with. You're going to have to have those same tones of when it turns on, when it turns off, because the idea of a, of a prevailing, you know, seize everything system is not what we want um, in any way, shape, or form. You want to be able to turn this thing on and turn it off. And I think the token gating, um, you know, circling back to Web3 is, is really one of the most important things. Janine. 
Oh man, I'm just like, I, I was just going down a different path of, well, similar, but like, you, you know, how do you know? You don't know what's what, right? And I think it's going to get increasingly hard because whatever systems we build to identify humans, you know, AI can just replicate that. And I think, and this is concerning for me, you know, bringing it back to crypto and to wallets, like wallets are, you know, whether they're seed phrase based or not, they are your your authentication and your ownership of your digital assets. And so it's so important that we have ability to identify ourselves as opposed to scammers and, you know, scammers using AI is something that just strikes fear into my heart because they're going to be, you know, they're already a huge problem and they're going to get so much more efficient. Mm -hmm. But it's a real challenge as to how we do that because things like, you know, I see biometrics as being quite valuable. And the thing that scares me about biometrics, because so much is based on biometrics now, right? But once you have your biometrics fraudulently obtained, you cannot get yourself a new face. You cannot get a new fingerprint, right? So once that's lost, it's it's not like you can reset your password um, when it comes to biometrics. And so I think our our reliance on biometrics is problematic. And I think when it comes to Web3, we really need to look at other authentication methods and possibly probably multi-layered authentication methods, right? Like a lot of, um, you know, MFAs to protect ourselves and to protect our assets because the AI-based scammers will be coming and their onslaught will be uh, ferocious. So. And, and most people just gave away their biometrics to WorldCoin. So, you know, that's, that's, that, that's already out. Sam Altman, OpenAI, WorldCoin. I mean, you oh, talked about... years ago and then it came back and I was like, oh God, we're here again. Yeah, and when you just said that, that you know, uh, everyone's going to want... To, to have your face scanned or your biometrics. I mean, that's what Apple's doing with Optic ID. That's what we're watching with WorldCoin. So I do think there is a, a race right now to try to capture that biometric data, trying to connect it to ultimately a wallet uh, on the other side of it so that we know who you are. And um, yeah, that's... There, there's already been a... I mean, there's been a challenge for years of, of what's real and what's not online. And, and let's be clear... That is, you're watching us in, in 1080p 4K right now on YouTube or wherever you're watching us. There's a time in the not near future, it, you wouldn't know if it, it really is us, speaks like us, stutters like us, has all the same interactions. Um, and so it really There's is beginning. You're talking to me online, Jay, that I'm hoping sooner or later I won't have to turn up for my own podcast. I can just have an AI system. <laughs> pretends to be me. It would speak more intelligently than I would. That's not bullshit. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it's, and, it's, it's exactly right of, of being able to prove. You know, you are who you say you are when you show up. I think Zoom kind of stepped in the mud a couple of weeks ago when they talked about their AI and being able to train off of um, the videos. Yeah. And, and if I was an enterprise attorney, which I am not a lawyer, but if I were and I and my company had a big Zoom contract and all of a sudden Zoom said that they can use their large language model to train, all of a sudden now Zoom knows when we're closing deals and private information that used to be in the boardroom is now being used for how? Yeah. You know, that's not okay. But if I had it in a closed environment where I knew who these people were uh, and I knew that it was them when they logged in, they logged in with their wallet or with their biometrics some way to prove it. I really think that's going to be necessary in a corporate setting uh, as well. Yeah. And by the way, this week they turned it on. Um, I have not used it yet, but I saw on our Zoom, we're big Zoom users uh, at Whales, And I saw this week that, that they do now have the AI dictation built in. So you don't have all the, the little bots coming in, you know, the dictation, uh, you know, assistance and everything else. <laughs> we have, we'll have some Zooms with 50 to 100 people on there and there'll be 20, 30 bots in the waiting room that we're like, nope, you're not coming in. Don't, don't want you because it, it, it's a data leak. Um, it's actually data, you know, massive data exposure. And I think that, you know, it's going to be, you're right. It's a massive challenge that people don't understand. Like, oh, look at how efficient this is. 
you just gave away your meeting. You just you just let something dictate your meeting. And now we assume the NSA does this, but we just there's nothing we can do about it. But now you've given it to like corporate corporate you know whoever to be able to really understand what you're doing. And if you're talking trade secrets, you're talking anything else. Like there is a lot of violations of privacy there. So um, we every time we bring up the uh, the AI dictation bots on the show, everyone's like, "Yep, corporately they're banned for us. They're this, that, everything else." Like we, I don't like them. You're going to have to get us back on track, but I saw this engineer's article about Meta's uh, mod, you know, their, the folks who were working on their large language models quitting, um, which is kind of interesting that we're talking about, you know, Zoom launching an AI, who's using it. And here you've got engineers uh, at, at Meta walking away. Uh, I don't know if you want to give the yeah we can give the uh, so engineers working on Meta's Llama and Llama two large language models uh, have left the company due to an internal battle battle over computing power with another Meta research team. Uh, this competition led to bitterness among employees, prompting their departure. Meta's Llama two was praised for offering free open source alternatives to models from OpenAI uh, and others, but faced a lot of internal challenges. This is like. Listen, right now you 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 can't even order from McDonald's without them, you know, asking about AI. Like it's every it's being put on any and everything. There you go, see, look, it broke. Um, and so you know the concepts that you have around, um, you know, like who's going to have this? Everyone. You know, there's not a single company that that you know doesn't have email, um, that doesn't have online data storage, and there's not going to be a single company that doesn't have AI integration at some point. So I think they're all like what we're seeing here is exactly that. And there's going to be teams of marketers saying, "No, we market this way," and other ones going, "No, I can just automate your stuff in in ten minutes, and we can eliminate you know the twenty percent of your team." So I think this is going to be that prevailing conversation, and it gets attention because it's meta and it's it's a big deal. But you know, Janine, I'm sure you guys spend a lot of time on like what is appropriate and what's not inside your companies. Yeah, I mean, we've got an AI policy of you know what what we can and can't do, and you know we're we're pretty rudimentary at this stage. But it's basically like if we wouldn't want it being out on the internet, we can't put it in AI. So like you know my I you know my staff are fully encouraged to use AI, and you know my marketing team use it, um, our customer support team use it. You know, often for just actually summarizing like you know a complicated customer inquiry. What are they actually saying? AI can often distill it down a bit better than. The customer writes it. But, you know, when it comes to internal business stuff, our strategies, our business plans, the kind of things we we're talking about before and, you know, what you're talking about on Zoom meetings in the boardroom, like no AI on that. We don't have AI, um, you know, dictation assistance in our meetings. We don't put any of our confidential stuff into um, any of those AI models. And I mean, it's an interesting one, right? Because it's like, we're a relatively small company. What does, you know, ChatGPT or OpenAI, like what do any of them care about our business and our strategies and our plans? But you just don't know where this stuff is heading, right? Once it's out there, it's out there forever. Exactly. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. <clears throat> I think, I think, I guess ChatGPT, and I'm all over the place, Jay. You got to keep me in line here. No, no, um, this but is ChatGPT great. talked about their um, uh, basically private access for brands to, to train the model. And I think this is going to be a big topic of conversation, you know, very soon. And uh, I think on Capitol Hill, a bunch of people are coming to Washington to talk about a path forward for AI legislation. And I think at the crux of that is going to be, does proprietary inputs equal proprietary outputs on the generative AI? If I train the model with just my data and the model is my model and we can own it and control it and run it locally and the outputs are clearly traceable back yeah. to the where they're deriving from does that then equal ip yeah. can do we own that and can you afford a lawyer to take that lawsuit <laughs> 
Yeah, there, there is, you know, I'm going to stop us short of, of AI uh, legislation because that is in a vastly emerging field. And we've had people on here that are experts um, and they'll start fighting with each other because it's, it's you know, how do you deal with it? And there's a lot of people working on it. So uh, last segment of the show, if we're going to be talking about frontier technologies, we're going to go with the biggest one uh, of all, which is space. Um, shocking, Elon touches each and every one of these. Uh, I'm a big space geek. And so we have, we're kind of at the verge probably the next few days. Uh, potentially weeks of the next uh, flight of Starship. Um, so everyone's seen Dragon, um, you know, uh, Elon's Dragon taking off and landing. Uh, I think he's done so over 260 times, uh, take off successfully, over 150 landings successfully. Um, and this thing is tiny. It's a fraction of the size compared to this is the largest built rocket, assembled rocket ever. Um, and suddenly we have to really understand that we are on the verge of a big global change. Um, that if you have cheap access to a new frontier, all the technologies we're talking about from immersive technologies, cryptocurrencies, blockchain technologies, like this is all infrastructure that's needed for the next phase. You know, there will, if, if he can successfully do this, moon colonies will happen much faster. Mars will happen much faster. They have plans now. And again, I can talk about this kind of stuff forever, but they have plans to use these starships as the next space station because the tip of this thing, and, and Andrea, if you can scroll up real quick, the tip of this, this, this spaceship here, just the one nose cone of it is larger than the entire International Space Station. Um, and so the fact that they're going to talk about putting multiples of these and hooking them up in space and as a permanent space station, um, this, this to me is just like some of the coolest technology. And we're literally watching, you know, the Wright brothers figuring out how that first flight was done. Um, and now we're seeing scaling. Uh, to the point of like, this is the first jumbo jet to actually take off. When you start to do space travel at scale, you're going to need that frontier tech. I love how you you put that together. But I mean, that's what he's been doing with SpaceX. I'm a huge Elon fan, you know, and, and when we get there, when we get to the moon or we're in these these ships, we're going to need uh, to be able to uh, to talk to each other, to process payments with one another, uh, to transact. and And that's, where X is a part of this equation, you know, to connect those dots, um, uh, you're going to need solar energy and batteries to power the thing. We've got, he's, he's, he's literally thinking about those kinds of frontier technologies. Um, I, I, I love it. And I think this one is just, it's, it's huge for repeatability, scalability of space travel, continuing to uh, push the access that, that this will allow us to have. Yeah. No. And, and Janine, don't, don't know how much you follow this, but I mean, to me, it's, it is, um, I, I used to think I would like to go to space and then I rewatched gravity on a long flight, uh, that I had the other day and I realized, no, nope, I'm good. But my kids will most likely, uh, be the ones that, that utilize this technology a little bit more. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. Like, I just love, I love the time of the world that we live in. And like, there's a lot of negative stuff and a lot of challenging things, but there's also really exciting stuff. And it's like, it's cool watching these things like, you know, history roll out in real time. Right. And so, yeah, it's fascinating. That's fabulous. Guys, I thank you so much for your time today. Uh, absolutely fabulous show. This comes out, you know, within under 12 hours from the time that we recorded. So it's all very timely. Um, again, uh, just real quick, any plugs or where people can find you if they want to learn more about you, you, your projects or anything you got going on. Janine? Uh, yeah, we're at easycrypto.com. Um, nothing much to plug at the moment, but have me back in a couple of months, Jay. We've got some exciting stuff we're working on that will be um, relevant to your global audience. So we'll see you again, uh, perhaps early next year for that. You're welcome. Welcome anytime. Michael. 
Love it. Uh, Michael Toner. I'm at Mike Toner on Twitter. Check out 3dium.io, T-H-R-E-E-D-I-U-M.io. Uh, thanks for having me back. Anytime. We're super excited. Guys, uh, Y Whales, we'll see you guys next time. Be good. Cheers. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. Why Whales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWhales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by TruthWork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.